Before we start today, would you invite the Spirit of God to speak to you? I don't know where you are today, but I'm not bringing my thoughts today. I'm opening up the Word of God, and I believe it will speak to you. But I, I believe there's a part of expectation on our part where we, be, we have to actually desire to hear from Him, ask Him to speak, and I believe He will speak. Will you, right where you are, what do you need from Him today? The blind man knew he didn't have sight, so he said, God, I want to, or Jesus, I want to see. But Jesus first asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? Ask him right now, what do you, what do you need from him? Now would you invite him to surprise you in what you never expected? Sometimes we see something like sight. Jesus sees something way beyond sight, what sight begins to produce in our life. Would you invite him to shock you? Father, we just want to encounter you today. Lord, we invite you into this place to speak to us. Lord, continue to mold us and shape us into the people that you want us to be. And God, I pray um, because I know that it is your desire that this community would never be the same because you've placed uh, your people here filled with your spirit. It's not because we're something great or something gifted. God, you're the gift inside of us. And so, God, we just want to keep saying yes, pour us out. Wherever you send us, God, we're open. We just say yes. Now, God, speak to us. Encourage our souls. Holy Spirit, would you divide into the joints and marrow of our soul, God, like a spotlight. Would you shine it in your word and illuminate to us. Uh, allow us to see us better in the mirror of your word so that we know you better in turn and we can respond in a better way. God, may the truth transform our life and set us free even more and more and more in the days ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 10. Or Luke 19, I'm sorry. My eyes are going bad. Luke 19. And um, so I've, I've been on this, on, on this journey. We've, we're stepping out of Romans 12 for a second. If you've been with us for the past couple weeks, we're out of Romans 12. But we've been in Romans for several weeks now, just understanding the basics of the gospel. And the gospel can sometimes just, we just overlook it. Like the power of God, the dynamite of God ends up not being so much dynamite in our life. Like nothing's shifting. Because we don't even think about the gospel of God. And so we unpack the gospel for weeks upon weeks upon weeks and how it transforms our life. And now I want to press into uh, an idea that we're going to unpack in a couple months. But I want to start unpacking it today. Starts like this. So uh, I have three kids. I have a five-year-old, uh, a, a two-year-old, and, and an 11-month-old. And we're at Hobby Lobby with my five-year-old. And my five-year-old um, is the very practical one. Did anybody have multiple kids in the room? You understand what I'm saying when I say I have one practical child and the other one is the complete opposite, you know? And she's, and Blakely, my five-year-old, is very literal. Like everything you say to her, it's word for word, verbatim from what you say. Like very, very, like sees everything that you're saying. So she wants for her birthday a snow globe. I don't know. I don't, I don't know any, we still like snow globes, I guess, but like my five-year-old wants a snow globe. And so we go to Hobby Lobby for her birthday to get a snow globe. She's standing in line with this snow globe, and you know you tell yourself, like when you're holding something fragile, you're like, you're telling yourself, okay, this thing's precious, don't drop it, don't drop it, and what do you do? 
you drop it. Like, you know you shouldn't, but it's like, it's just something that has to happen. And so she's standing in line. She drops the snow globe and it shatters on the floor. And just in the same way that water begins to puddle, it's like I watch like this, this heaviness sit on Blakely and she just soul crushing, you know. The thing she wanted, she drops and loses it all over the floor. And my wife looked at her and she said, she said, Blakely, she said, don't worry. Sometimes things like this happen. She said, I broke a snow globe once. And my five-year-old looks up with this hope in her eyes and says, you dropped a snow globe with Nene on your birthday <laughs> at Hobby Lobby? <laughs> my wife is like, well, <laughs> let's unpack all of these things, you know what I mean? Like, but my, my daughter is so literal, but, but here's, what, here's what I see, like as a child, when you're a child and you trust the authority figure in your life, everything that authority figure says, like you hang on every word and you draw the lines of truth, even in the unspoken truths, but you draw every single line and you trust everything that they say, even when it wasn't quite clear. But I, I'm thinking, I started thinking like, what happens? Like, what's the shift as we get a little bit older? What happens? Start looking through a different lens of experience, right? And sometimes our experience can jade the way we see something, even if it's not true. Based upon past experience, Blakely has no reason not to trust the authority figure in her life. But as we get older, we find that we are disappointed, we're injured, we find out that people aren't perfect. And so then we can have a tendency to look through life in a lens of all of those hurts and pains and failures and problems instead of, just like a child, trusting that authority figure who has not lost any bit of, or who has every bit of her trust. So today I want to unpack this idea of kingdom. What does it look like for us to actually embrace the kingdom of God Jesus says in Luke 18, receive the kingdom of God like a child. What the heck does that mean? And he says, if you don't receive the kingdom of God like a child, you're not worthy of the kingdom. Like you can't even receive it. You can't be a part of it unless you come like a little child. So what does that mean? And God's brought me on a journey and I want to unpack one of the parables for you guys in Luke chapter 19. I want to read the entire parable. Now, preface this. This parable and parables are packed with so much rich information. I do not have time to unpack the entire parable for you guys. But I do want to unpack this idea. What does it look like to receive the kingdom of God like a child? What does it look like to respond to the king like a child? You got Luke 19. If you got to say, I got it. Come on, let's get it. Let's read this together. <clears throat> Verse 11, I'm going to start in verse 11, go to 26. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So right off the bat, he gives you the reason for why Jesus is telling this story. Everyone around him thought the kingdom was going to happen right now. And so he's unpacking, here's how the kingdom is going to show up. And he said... A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. 
So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He has made, he was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant. His master replied, because you have been trustworthy with a very small amount, take charge of 10 cities. The second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away safely in a piece of cloth. He was so proud of himself for the work that he did. He said, I was afraid of you because you were a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words. You wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man. Taking out what I didn't put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten. Sir, they all said, he already has ten. Everybody's upset, you know. Give it to the guy who has the most. Why wouldn't you give it to the one who has the least? He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Guys, we unpacked last week the wrath of God. That is, I mean, that's a heavy topic. But literally, the wrath of God is, is coming. <laughs> like this is what the book says. In the end, the wrath of God against all sin and ungodliness, all the things that hold people back, enslave them in poverty and fear and pain, God is actually not slow to anger in this. He's actually furious with sin, which holds back so many people from experiencing goodness. God is coming against sin one day soon. That's what the book says. And there is coming a day where there will be no more hope for return and repentance and change in our life. That's why it's such good news about Jesus. Like the good news is coupled with terrible news. Like the wrath of God is coming, but Christ has saved us from actually the wrath of God. You understand this? Like the wrath is coming against sin. Each one of us is actually sinners, right? Like number one sinner right here. Like I, I, I am. And unless Christ offer a gift of salvation for me, I'm doomed. Like, I will fall under the wrath and judgment of God. Like, I'm done. I got no hope, nothing to stand on, guys. My preaching ain't good enough, you know what I mean? Like, my Bible study with him ain't good enough. My good deeds are not good enough. In fact, in light of all of that, how could I repay God? 
So this is not, this parable is not about works-based salvation. Okay, don't get it twisted. He's not coming to judge these people because they didn't do uh, work. or He's coming to judge them if Christ is not on them. If Christ is not Lord and King of their life, judgment is coming. But his anger comes with somebody who is commissioned out by him, understanding the truth, and yet not taking it serious, the command that he gave to them. And so there is a clear and, and yet like profound mystery in some of this, and it's kind of challenging, but I'm not quite sure how it all plays out, to be honest with you. I'm just really not. But there is an element to where he has called each one of us who has faith and trust in Christ, and he's filled us with this great treasure, and he says, hey, here's what I want from you. Go give the treasure away. Like, go help people understand that they can be set free too. Sinners setting sinners free through the grace of Christ. Go get it. So he has this absolute distaste for one of his servants who says, it's no big deal. It doesn't matter. So he says, take the gift from them and give it to the one who went after it the most. I don't earn salvation by works, but uh, God is not opposed to works. We have to understand that, church. And I want to call you just the same way that Christ called people around him. Let's, let's go get to work because many, many people are in desperate need of the goodness that you have. And we've got to understand the value of that gift. So let's look at the three responses in this parable about how people responded to the king. The first response is this, rejection. In verse 14, we see this, but his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. So absolute rejection. I don't want a king. Anybody else want a king? America? We, peep, we land of the free, you know, we don't got no king. I'm the king. That is our motto. That is our legacy. That is, honestly, it's, it's kind of our vibe. Like, we're the people with no king. We are our own king. So there's an absolute rejection of the king. And when Jesus told this parable, uh, everyone understood with, uh, with great understanding what he was saying to them. From 4 B.C., a real, uh, a real life scenario happened in 4 B.C., you see, the Jews hated their king. Their king over Judea was named Herod. They hated Herod. He was an awful man. So in his will, he wrote that the kingdom was going to go to his younger son. And so upon his death, uh, Archelaus, Herod's son, had to travel to Rome and get the rights to become king. So he had to take what Herod willed and bring it before Caesar and say, here's the will. I should be king. Make me king. He needs to be like commissioned. So the Jews found this out and sent a delegation, just like this story, ahead of Archelaus to Rome and said, if you make him king, we will go to war. We will fight. Don't make this guy king. So Caesar listens and actually makes Archelaus, doesn't say Archelaus is king. He puts him in charge somewhat, but takes away the, the title of king. So when Jesus tells this story, everybody understands the sentiment of, I don't want that king. I love how Jesus teaches because it's, it's so, there's so much more to his teaching. I want to encourage you guys, as you get into the word, understand the background of what the word is saying because there's so much richness in what's actually being said. So they first, the first response to the king was absolute rejection. And the second was reception. 
So the king is met with rejection. He's met with reception. We see this in verse 16 and 18 with the two, with the two, um, with the two men who actually took what the master gave and put it to work. And we see this in their tone. Check this out in verse 16 and 18. The first one said, Sir, your mina has earned. The reception of the king, what, what he saw was these two guys who received the king, they saw that what they received from the king was not theirs. And unless the king gave them something to invest, what do they have to invest? And I want to say that I never become like this guy, right? I mean, I, I never become like the other one. I'm always this guy, right? Like, I'm always like, oh, King Jesus, what you have given me, it is just my great pleasure. And, and I appreciate what you have given me so. And it is not mine, but yours. And so I invest. Your gift has done all of these things. That, that's not often my spirit. But he talks about those who accept him. This is the proper way to actually be in a, a, a filled spirit or, or a good spirit, a right spirit with him. Is to understand that your gift that was given to you is not yours. And if it had not been given to you, what do you have of value to bring to the table today? Unless God created you the way that you are, how have you created it in yourself? I want us to begin seeing our life from the value of what God actually created. Did you know God created only you to be you? There's not another you, my friend. But those gifts that were given to you, do you know, what did you do to earn those? You were created with them. The scripture says in your mother's womb you were formed, you were knitted together. Who do you think did all that? The king of the universe. <clears throat> who designed you, who loved you, who saw a purpose for you. And guess what? There ain't another you. And unless you get to work with what he gave you, nobody can fill your spot. And so God calls and he says, I've given you a gift. Would you step into the gift that I've given for a purpose? Because I got a big purpose for your life. But many of us, maybe many of us in the room, I'm just speaking for myself for a second, I have often looked through the lens of my life based upon what other people told me about me versus what God said about me. I looked through the lens of what my first grade teacher said when she said I wasn't smart because I couldn't read, you know. I've told you all that story many times, but that, that affected my life for many, many years. And still sometimes can create some insecurity in my life if I really get my eyes on myself. You see, my experience shapes sometimes my view of my life and the life around me, and sometimes I don't even know it. But the thing that's going to bring us back into health is for you to understand today, who would you be unless God created you? He knit you together. He put you together for a purpose. He made you just the way you are. And you're not broken. You're not messed up. He designed you the way you are and actually wants to see that come alive more and more and more. The brokenness comes because I broke what he made perfect. I begin to use my gifts in ways they were never meant to be used. And I begin to jade them and dull them and they don't become as powerful. And he says, if you'll allow me, I will use that gift. But I've got to be king. But I keep saying, I want to be king. 
It's my gift. I earned it. I did it. It's not yours. But not this servant. This servant, open arms, received with a tone of just saying, it's not my, my mind, it's yours. And unless you gave it to me, I wouldn't have one to give. Psalm 115, 115.1 says something very similar. It says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory. Because of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Man, I don't deserve a thing. And unless you gave me steadfast love and faithfulness, who would I be? I would have nothing to give. I would not have come alive. Martin Luther said this, I've done nothing but the word has done it all. The more we realize where the power is, the more power can flow through us. But if I want to receive the power and I want to take it for myself and I want to remain king of my life, I will miss out on the power of God, the filling, the dynamite of God. I won't experience his dynamite. I can do some things, but they won't be of eternal value. That's what we see in the third one, who's the accuser. Accusation is the third way to respond to the king. And the verse, the verses 20 through 21, he basically says, it's not my fault. Verse 20 and 21 says, another servant came. Here's your mina. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. And this, word, this piece of cloth is an interesting word. It's a handkerchief actually used to wipe the sweat of your brow. And so what he was saying is, I don't, I'm not doing work. And so what I'm going to use the tool to wipe the sweat of my brow, I'm going to put your, your gift in here. I'm going to keep it safe because I don't need it. And I ain't going to go to work at all. Because guess what? The master... He don't earn anything. He takes. What does he say in verse 21? I was afraid because you're a hard man. You take out what you did not put in. What in the heck is he talking about? What is he saying? You take what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. What he is saying is, this is my gift. This is mine. And you're demanding from me? I mean, who do you think you are? I'm like, where does he think he got that? <laughs> you know, like, unless the master came to him and gave him a mina, what does he have to invest? And he's saying, you didn't, you didn't give anything for this. But it wasn't the servants at all. It was actually the masters. Who does he think he is? I want to say I don't align with him, but I align with him so much. And you know what the word that he uses, this guy he uses to describe the master, he uses this Greek word, and it's a, it's a weird word, but it's austeros. And austeros means astringent to the taste, like it's a bitter fruit. Anybody ever have an unripe fruit? What's the worst unripe fruit to eat? What is it? Come on, him, let's speak out. Come on now. We only fan. What's the worst? Like if you take a bite of a fruit and you think it's going to be like that sweet, juicy, awesome, strawberries, awful. What else? Banana. Oh, bananas are nasty. What else? What else? Apples. It's terrible, man. Like really, any. I think, number one, though, I think a peach is the absolute nasty. Like, peach is one of my favorite fruits, you know what I mean? But, like, when it's not ripe, it is the worst thing to taste. Like, when you eat it, you're just like, it just wasn't good to the taste. And so what that, what that servant is saying to the master, he goes, you're like an unripe fruit. You're, you're bitter to my taste. But you know what he was seeing? Uh, he was seeing the master through a lens that wasn't even true. But he had told himself that this is absolutely true. This is who the master is. And you know what I wonder? I wonder if he has a past experience with a king. With a king. And then begins to take his past experience with a king and put it to the king. 
And some of us understand that because we look at maybe dad in our life and dad wasn't quite good enough and he was kind of messed up and he, and he made a mess of things. And when we think father in heaven, we go, I don't want a father in heaven. We think teacher, we had a teacher and we, we really look through the lens of what we saw and, and experienced through a teacher and we think the master, teacher, thank you, but no thank you. And what we, what, we, what we don't know is we don't actually know the master. We don't know the heart of the master. And I, I pray today that you have an encounter with the spirit of God, that you understand the goodness of the master who offers good news to you in the midst of terrible news coming that we deserve. And yet he earned it for you. You don't have to earn a thing. It's a free gift of salvation for you. That means that word is like a prison door being shattered wide open. And the box that you've been placed in and the lens that you see life through, he wants to come in and shatter it. And give you a brand new lens of freedom and excitement and joy and peace and hope for the days ahead. Psalm 115 continues down and says this. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. Eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. Noses, but they don't smell. They have hands, but they don't feel. Feet, but they do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throats. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. What he's saying is, whatever king is set up in your life, you will become like the king that is in your life. Whatever is set up as idol, whatever is set up as God, whatever is set up as king, you are becoming like him or her or thing. And he's saying these people were setting up money as their treasure and they got hands, but they ain't moving them. They got a mouth, but they ain't speaking. They got ears, but they actually don't hear. They have eyes, but they're blind. They're not actually living life. They're staying still. But you know what shocks me in all of this? Here's where, here's where we begin to understand the childlike thing. I hate subtitles in the scriptures. I'm growing more and more in my understanding to hate them. I don't like them. But I never noticed the very first line of this parable where he says, while they were listening to this, he gives this parable. What were they listening to? You know what they were listening to? The final line of where Jesus is talking to Zacchaeus and everybody who is around Zacchaeus that day when he says, uh, I came to seek and save the lost. I came to seek and save the lost and salvation has entered this house. So what's he talking about? We're talking about childlike faith in chapter 18. And then we go down into a story where he's talking about receiving the kingdom of God. And it's like this before a story of a little man who set up a kingdom and was really proud of his kingdom until he wasn't proud of his kingdom and yet didn't know what to do. Some of y'all today are in the same spot. You set up a kingdom and everybody might look at your life and be like, man, I wish I had that. And you know it. But on the inside, you go, my kingdom ain't worth nothing. My kingdom actually is not worth anything. And the scripture that says even what they have will be taken away inside deeply, you actually understand that. And you are not satisfied with what you have. 
So even what you have is taken away in your mind and it doesn't mean anything and you're looking for some kind of meaning in life and you go, where is the meaning? I don't have the meaning. I don't know what meaning is anymore. I've tasted it all and everything's a bitter fruit. What do I got to do to find meaning in this place? Check this out. Zacchaeus, the little man who had everything, finds himself questioning just maybe this is the thing, the more that I have been looking for my entire life. And so what does the little man do? There's a line of people down the street that day, and I love this picture, this little man running past all the crowds. He's running down the parade of people. There's a parade, look at Jesus, and you see the little guy leading the way, you know, hauling it down the street. What's he do next? He finds a tree. Hey, any of y'all climbed a tree lately? When's the last time you climbed a tree? I mean, when I was a kid, right? I mean, I climbed every tree when I was a kid. But you know why I climbed a tree? For the brand new experience. Seeing what I've never seen before. You know why I stopped climbing trees? Because I know what it looks like. Because I've seen a few trees. Some of us have stopped climbing trees because we know what it looks like. Been there, done that, through the lens of experience. But that little man Zacchaeus that day, something happened in his life where he says, I don't have it. Everybody thinks that I got everything. I got nothing. Maybe this thing is the more that I'm looking for. He climbs a tree looking for the guy, Jesus. And this is what he says to him. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. <laughs> I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. He hopped out of that tree and was like, you coming to my house? You know, I like picturing a kid at Christmas. It's Christmas. Jesus, come to my house, everybody. You know, like everybody's surrounding him like, oh, man, like going to that guy's house. But Jesus, come to my house, you know. Like this, I, I picture that little guy just like, oh, he's on fire. Jesus, come to my house. The one thing I don't have. Jesus comes to his house. But you know why I love this word house? I love this word house because in the Greek, the word house means barrier. And this, I promise you, I promise you, some of you have set up barriers, like kingdoms that make sense to you. And I want to just, I want to bring you right to the edge of the door. But there's this thing that's been like knocking on the barrier of your kingdom. And you know it's not enough, but you don't quite know what that knocking is. And I want to introduce you to the knock. Like the knocking on the kingdom door of your heart and life is this person named Jesus and he says, I, I promise you, you know in the depths of where you are today that your kingdom isn't enough. You know it. But what do you do about it? How can you save yourself? How can you fix your kingdom? That day Jesus just knocked and asked Zacchaeus, hey, can I come into your kingdom? And when Jesus stepped into his kingdom, beyond the barrier, all of a sudden, Everything changed in Zacchaeus. He had a brand new purpose, brand new mission, brand new vision because he met the king that he had never met before. And I'm telling you, whatever idea that you have about king, teacher, father, Jesus is the good teacher. He is the good father. He is the good king. 
And I want to invite you into the process of just walking that journey out together. If you're here and you're seeking, you're like, I don't know Jesus. Would you come the next few weeks and just get to know who Jesus is? This is not pressure. This is not a pressure cell. I'm not trying to talk you into something. I just want to introduce to you the thing that has absolutely transformed my life personally. And everybody in this room who has experienced Christ will be saying the same thing. Yeah, holler. Anybody? Change. Life's changed. Come on. The gospel's transformed our life. Because guess what? What I'm saying is right, right, y'all? He knocked on your door, like the kingdom that you had built. You invite the king in, and guess what? The kingdom changed, right? Kingdom changed, anybody? Anybody? Come on now. Help everybody understand the kingdom changed. Something happened. I've never been the same since. And I want to invite you into the journey of, of discovering that. That this King Jesus has brought you in the room today. And he needs to know that you, he loves you. And he's calling you. And he called a little man out of the tree. And if you will come to him like a child going, I just want to know. What do you want me to do? I'm open. I'll listen. And your life will transform into what you could have never imagined. And work don't feel like work. It's like, yo, he gave me a gift. <laughs> Come on. I'll just give it away. It's too fun. And here's what will begin to happen in your life. And I believe it's happening in many of our lives. When Jesus sets up kingdom shop in your life, here's what we begin to go after. We go after the people who are lost. We go after the people who are not yet here. You have the freedom to forget yourself and now you can go care for other people because you are cared for. It is finished, it is done. Good news for you, good news for you, good news for you. But guess what? Not everybody knows the good news. So guess what we got a new purpose for? Let's go find them. Let's go give away the gift that was given to us. This is what it looks like to receive the kingdom as a child. And then guess what Zacchaeus did? My kingdom don't matter anymore. All this st stuff that I thought were valuable, guess what? I'm going to give it away. I don't need it. I found the thing I was looking for. It was more. And today, here's the deal. If you needed the fresh reminder that it's more, you can come to him like that little child again. You can hop back out of the tree, and I think he's always there. He's like, hey, can I come into your house today? You want to let me in today? Come on. Let's go do life. Be reminded. We're about to sing a song. Let's just tell him we love him. Remind, remind us that we love him. God, thank you for loving us. We love you so much. And here's the deal. If you're here today and you don't know the love of the Father that has loved you so much, but is knocking on your kingdom's door and you know it. As we sing this song today, uh, I want to talk to you. I want to pray for you. And I believe that God wants to speak to you today. Would you come and uh, let's talk that out. Let's pray. And I believe that God wants to do work in your kingdom. Let's tell him we love him. We're thankful for what he's doing. Would you stand with me?